Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. This is Tom Salemi. I'm here with Steve Krupa of the Silos Group. Good morning, hey, Steve. Tom. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. So, neither of our football teams were in the Super Bowl, but uh, I assumed you watched, as did I. I did. I did. Now, did you have a favorite going in? Um, I was, I was, I was rooting for the Broncos just because I wanted to see Peyton sort of make his last stand. I guess. Yeah, I tried to go there. I, I'm a Pats fan, obviously, and tried to yeah. be benevolent and, and think that way. But once the once the kickoff happened, I wanted to see him destroyed. No. <laughs> <laughs> he not, he did get destroyed, but he did, yeah, yeah, he did, but he won the game, and that's yeah. what matters. So, your podcast today was uh, was very 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 good job with that. You've uh, you thank you tapped into uh, into uh, your network, yeah, and, uh, yep. and talked with uh, Rob Gillette of uh, of Health Edge, right? That's right, tell that's us, right. Tell us a bit about how you know Rob. I know you 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 in the podcast you share uh, a pastime that you both enjoy. Right, uh, but uh, what's your other connections with Rob? Well, you know, we've we we backed backed Rob uh, around ten years ago, actually, um, with Health Edge. So Health Edge is a silos company. Uh, I think it's the first silos company we've done uh, mm-hmm. on on the podcast. So I have been on Rob's board, and uh, we've uh, we've become close friends over over a ten year period when in which he took uh, you know thirty developers and and grew it into a very large uh, software company. He's done a great job for us. What's that relationship like when you're on a board for that long and you really get to know the CEO? Does that affect the the board management relationship at all, or are you able to separate your person from your from your profession? Uh, I think it's mostly professional, and then and then the personal sort of derives from that. But it really is uh, a question of you know how you want to approach your relationship with CEOs. I mean, I, I think that there's a friendship there. Uh, where you know you've you've got to look out for their best interest. You've got to try to um, you know be their friend and also be their advisor and and ask them difficult questions as they're as they're presenting their business metrics to you. But at the same time, uh, you want to be supportive across the board in terms of helping them them grow the company. And you know, with respect to Rob, I would say that you know over the the course of time, we've we share a mutual uh, sort of set of ethics and a mutual uh, set of objectives in life. Um, and, and that results in a, in a very open, direct, and caring sort of relationship uh, between investor and, and entrepreneur. And he clearly knows how to uh, handle an interview. This is, a, this yeah, is yeah. an unedited interview. There's no point where you had to stop the tape and have him start over again. It's a, it's a, very, uh, a very fluid conversation. I thought it was uh, very engaging. I did. And, you know, honestly... It was a challenging interview for me because um, I wanted to let Rob make the points about the company and sort of let him make, you know, because I, I had you know, a lot of knowledge about what they're doing versus a lot of the other interviews where I'm really genuinely not knowledgeable about what's going on. Welcome to my world. <laughs> and so um, I listened back to it and I, and I think that uh, I did let him do that. So I'm happy with the way it turned out. Well, we'll let uh, Rob tell the story himself, but why don't you tell us a bit about Health Edge and what they're uh, what they're trying to do? Yeah, I mean, Health Edge was was started to create an automated um, platform for payers, insurance companies, TPAs, and so forth, uh, 
Um, much of the software that exists today in those in, in, in that industry helps manual processing, so it sort of enables manual processing to work better. And you know, uh, Rob's thought was we should actually build a computer that can automate all of the all of that processing and then make that data available in uh, real time. Um, and that is the backbone for a concept of the digital payer, which is where uh, these companies are probably headed down the road is the ability to create an interaction with a health insurance company for consumers and providers and employees, et cetera, that is digital much in the same way our interaction with retailers and the financial service industry is digital. And, and that, that infrastructure doesn't exist. And, and Rob is a, is a key component to that going forward. And the, the company's been at this a, a bit, but I would guess technology itself uh, is, is sort of catching up and really making what they're trying to do more, more viable with cell phones. Obviously they've been around for, for, well, the smartphones for, for less than 10 years, but it seems like technology is catching up to the idea. Uh, yeah, I think the technology, I think the, the market demand is, is catching up to the availability of the technology, mm -hmm. um, that there is, is now a real understanding at the, on the payer side that they need to become digital companies. And, um, and so they're making the, the investments and, you know, we, it, we take, it took a while to build the software. It's a very, as, as Rob will explain, it's, it's a very intricate, um, system that allows you to take very complex rules about payments and pricing and completely automate those, uh, so that you could have theoretically a hundred percent of claims adjudicated by machine. Now companies won't do that. They'll want to look at large claims and unusual claims, uh, and review them, but, but everyday claims can be you know, adjudicated with that automatically and the data could be available to doctors and patients in real time and, and aggregated with, with clinical information to provide, you know, other applications that we talk about in, in the digital health universe all the time. Terrific. Well, let's Rob tell his own story and, and start the interview. Uh, welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with uh, Rob Gillette, CEO of Health Edge Software. Hello, Rob. Good afternoon. Rob and I are old friends, as you know from the intro. I've been on Rob's board probably for uh, longer than he and I can remember. Um, uh, but one of Rob's sort of secrets before we get into the healthcare uh, ideas here is that Rob secretly does not want to be a healthcare executive. He wants to be a rock star. Is that true, Rob? Well, I think it's getting a little late for that, but uh, <laughs> I certainly am still uh, still playing and recording and trying to get my, my music out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some guys play golf on the weekends. Uh, and I play guitar. And you play guitar. So while I've got you in front of uh, an audience, we can say the, the new single is What I Know Now, right? That's right. It's out on Souls Do Records, and I uh, should be able to... Uh, see it on uh, YouTube, Facebook, and all the, the typical media outlets. Right, at robgillette.com. Correct. Uh, it's actually, you know, you and I both know I'm, I'm a guitar player, too. I'm not as good a guitar player as you are, but um, I listen to a lot of music, and, you know, I can definitely, you know, feel our generation come out in your, in your, in your songs. They're sort of like radio rock, I guess, but not classic rock, more like The Cars or Elvis Costello, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we refer to it as, as idiosyncratic pop, and I think, you know, the idea is to incorporate some, uh, some kind of retro feel with, uh, with a more contemporary aesthetic as well. 
So somewhere along the line, you learned how to program. And I know uh, before you joined Health Edge, you were doing uh, software architecture and in, in other verticals besides healthcare. But somehow uh, you convinced yourself this was a good place to bring your skills. Uh, what what was your ambition to uh, to come on over to the healthcare side, if you will? Well, there's a, a couple of things that that make it interesting. I think the the biggest one is I was. Uh, founder, uh, technical founder of a company called uh, Calidus Software, now called Calidus Cloud, that does, it does uh, a management of complex compensation plans for large sales forces with, with complex offerings. And the interesting thing about incentive compensation is it's highly conditional. So it's not just taking money and moving it from one bucket to another, which is what most transaction processing systems do, but there are very, very complex interconnected rules about how much you pay salespeople based on what products they're selling, if they're selling associated services, if they've hit certain thresholds and, and that sort of thing. And when I looked at what goes on in um, core administrative systems for the health insurance industry, I saw something that looked very similar. If you think about a benefit plan or the way that providers are reimbursed, the thing that makes it uh, a complex situation is the conditionality of the rules for payment. So I ended up, uh, we ended up applying some of the same principles um, that we did at Calidus to uh, to the software architecture uh, at uh, Health Edge, and and at Calidus, were, were they able to achieve you know a hundred percent automation on on how to calculate what a salesperson is compensated? Uh, yeah, I would say you know there may be there's obviously you know occasional exceptions to every rule, but yes, in general, it's a hundred percent automation. I mean, when we when we first started talking about Health Edge, you know, way back when, we, you know, we were looking you know, at an industry and like we'd look at an insurance company and they were, they had, you know, 10,000, 20,000 claims processing people. And we sort of asked ourselves the question, like, what are those people doing? And, and sort of the answer that would come back is, well, it's so complicated to process a claim. We have to have, uh, people, people do that. Now, of course there was some automation involved in what they were doing, but you know, what is it about a, 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 an insurance claim that makes it so complicated. I mean, I know there's, is it because there's a lot of rules or because there's a lot of, um, you know, different types of claims or is it a combination of that? I, I think it's because of the, of the complexity of the underlying rule set is really the issue. And like I said, there's, you know, there's these two domains. One is figuring out what the benefit is to the member who is, covered by the insurance policy, and the other is to figure out uh, uh, how much to reimburse the physician. And it's really, you know, if, if you think about into the interplay of the various factors, you've got co-pays and deductibles and maximums, and they vary by whether you're in network or out of network and by, you know, a number of other factors. So, those all those things come together to make a pretty complex equation and then when you layer on things like you know coordinating with 
with other insurance companies if there's you know some some shared responsibility and things like that um you know there's a, a workflow aspect that that goes on top of this as as well so it's really you know I've worked on very very complex systems Calidus is one example actually you know I started my career in in doing uh telecom doing network management for satellite satellite based datacom and I got to tell you, you know, this is way more complicated than that. Hmm. And it it is, I guess, I will ask you the question, you know, is it is it technically possible for a complicated health plan, let's say a health plan with, you know, half a million or a million lives or maybe, you know, five million lives or more to create an environment in which if they wanted to, they could process all of their claims by machine? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, there's always a situation where there's exceptions, but the exceptions should be true exceptions. Right now, most health plans, there are large percentages of their claims, which the system just functionally cannot handle. And in fact, you know, you talked earlier about the, you know, the large numbers of people, really a lot of the claim systems that are out there still to this day are largely workflow systems that move claims around so that people can, you know, manually uh, adjudicate them. The other thing that, that's gone on is people have looked at the holes in these systems and built you know, dozens, sometimes hundreds of systems surrounding the core administrative system that serve to to deal with all these exceptions. And these are pieces of software that are written in, you know, Fox Pro and Excel and Access Databases and other things which really kind of are very difficult to scale, are very difficult to control, are error prone, difficult to aggregate data. It's just, it's not a way to run a a sustainable business. So you, your, your goal when you guys started to write um, your product, um, I'm assuming one of your goals were, was to eliminate the need for these satellite systems uh, to take care of special circumstances or things of that nature. Um, when, when you developed the system, you know, what, what were the things that you tried to build in uh, to the architecture and, and the software uh, that would uh, allow you to conquer these problems? Well, the key thing is the flexibility of the configuration architecture, which is why we went with um, the technical term as a domain-specific grammar. But you know what that means is it's a little configuration language that's quite structured, but that uh, writes and reads like English. So, you know, for example, the example I always use is, you know, with, with other systems, if you want to set, you know, a, a lifetime or an annual maximum out of pocket, for example, there's a whole raft of configuration variables that need to get set and they get set inside this hierarchical context. You know, with our system, you say maximum annual out-of-pocket is X, and the, and the system figures out how to do all of that processing for you. So you've really just articulated the behavior that you want in the business language that you're accustomed to speaking in, and the, the system figures out the processing. So 
you know, underlying that is a whole bunch of technology which allows us to map those business statements onto the required processing, but it's kind of very much behind the scenes. So again, other systems, it's about instructing the system how to process the claim. With our system, it's about articulating the business effect that you want and the system figures it out itself. And is is this is this product is sort of a byproduct of I'm I'm guessing increased and computer speed and computer power uh, and the the improved configurate configurability of databases and, and other languages. It doesn't seem like it's something we could have built 20 years ago, could we have? I think the biggest one is the the languages that are available and the development tools that are available, and we've actually authored a bunch of. Uh, of tools that we have that are part of our proprietary infrastructure that uh, that help us do this. You know, on the hardware side, we actually can run on a very modest hardware configuration. So mm-hmm. it's it's not a situation where, you know, the massive amounts of power that are available now uh, allowed us to to implement this architecture. But it was it was it was the advancements in the in the programming one. And the, and the database line. That's, that's right. Well, that that's part of it, and also it's just the way that the product was our, uh, event initially imagined. So, a lot of products suffer from, you know, engineers authoring the initial system. And when we started the company, we were religious about having people who had actually done this work implemented other systems, but also you were users of various systems and had done this for a living. So we really uh, took very seriously trying to understand the whole domain of problems that we were trying to solve and then to build an architecture that would work across all of those problems. That's tough to do. And a lot of companies take an approach where they'll say, well, kind of what's the minimum problem that we're trying to solve and then build out on top of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had the luxury of having a, a, a couple of, you know, really almost three, four years to develop the first commercial iteration of the product. So we were able to span that entire domain from the start, which is important to being able to architect. Yeah, and, and when I when I talk to people about the company, I say to them, well, well the advantage here is, is that if you want to, you can automate all of your claims, or if you want to, you can automate a large proportion of them and then create a workflow automation with how you, with, about how you might deal with sort of special claims that come in that surprise you by the size of the value or sort of the rarity of the treatment that's being used or something like that. But the the advantage that you're delivering is that you you are creating an ongoing environment by which those decisions can be made digitally and be routed digitally throughout the enterprise. Is that a good way to think about it? I, I think that's a very accurate way to think about it. Um, yeah, I think that make that makes total sense. And the the fact is that there will always be cases where, you know, you want a human to intervene if you've got a million dollar claim, for example. But there's no reason. I mean, it's funny when I go out and and talk to executives at 
at health insurance companies, you know, there's this, they're a little bit incredulous, you know, how could we ever get to a hundred percent auto adjudication? Well, you know, software has allowed us to do transaction processing in complex domains for many, many years. And there's no reason why uh, health plans should not be part of that as well. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi here, just taking a quick break from this conversation to ask you if you would like to be on the Breaking Health podcast. I have to assume the answer is yes. So shoot me an email at tom at healthogy.com. Healthogy is spelled like the word health with E-G-Y at the end. So tom at healthogy.com. Reach out to me, tell me your story, and we'll see if we can make it happen. Now back to this conversation with Rob Gillette at HealthEdge. Well, let, let's go. Let's go to sort of the next, the next issue because I know, I know there's 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 a, a, a word or a concept out there that I don't think was imagined when the company was started. I think you probably had a an objective of automating uh, data and claims processing for a payer, and of course that's the airlines do it, and all these large data consumers out there are very automated. The health insurance business is not quite that automated. Um, and that was sort of, that was certainly a big mission, but now we're, we're, we're talking about this idea of a digital payer, which is kind of a new word, at least for me anyway, or a new concept. Um, when you, when you think about digital payer, I mean, what does that evoke for you? What do you, what does that term mean to you? Well, I think there's a, a couple of aspects. One is the one we've already been discussing, which is automating core infrastructure. So that's, that's key. Um, and, and access to data is also key. And being able to be responsive to changes in the marketplace. So to me, you know, part of the digital economy is being able to, to be responsive to the market, to build new products, and to be responsive to your consumers. The other thing that's part and parcel is the way that you engage with your customers and with your partners. And that, again, requires a different level of access to data, and it requires uh, new channels for distribution of data. So I think the obvious one is the web, which has been around for quite a few years, but also mobile devices. I think more and more, you know, I just read the other day that, you know, PC sales again are down because people are buying, you know, iPads and, and phones and other mobile devices. So being able to connect. So, so myself as a consumer, what I want is I want to be able to go on my iPad and kind of understand everything that's going on with my health plan and my health really. So I should be able to go and see, okay, these are the office visits, you know, this is the treatments that I've had. These are the drugs that I've had prescribed to me. And here's how the benefits are associated with all those things. Here's what the amount that I need to pay. Here's why I need to pay it according to the, you know, my benefit plan. And it's been very difficult for health plans to, to reach um, that, that kind of bar just because of their inability to access their data and to, to build these kinds of systems. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I would tell you, you know, everything reflects personally at some point, right? So if I'm like wanting a piece of information, which, you know, you always, you know, want to know how old somebody is that's in a, in a movie or whatever, 
whatever you're doing, you know, you, you, you know, I will be, I will go to my phone <laughs> first. Right. I'm a phone right. first guy. Cause you know, I'd be laying on the couch. Why would I want to get up and go sit down at my desk at my computer? And it's, it's only when I can't do it by phone, which is normally if the information I'm trying to access is either, you know, not formatted for my phone, right. Or not available uh, on my phone. And, and it goes to pretty much like everything, like the price of a hotel room, right. Ordering food now in New York city on seamless. You do it on your phone, right. Uh, texting a friend instead of calling them. They have this whole sort of, and, and, and we're of the older generation. When I look at these, uh, when I look at the younger millennials, the 20 somethings now, they're doing it in ways that I don't even know. Um, and, it, and it seems to me like that capability uh, will be demanded by our generation as we start to consume more healthcare, right? And become Medicare. And buy Absolutely. It. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and there's, there's really two, two parts to that. One is developing the digital channel, right? So that's the app that you're using on your phone or your iPad, right. or it's the website that you're using on your laptop. But the other is being able to support both access to information and the transactions that you want to be able to implement. And for a lot of health plans, you know, there's a lot of people out there today building these digital engagement platforms, right? But how much good are they if the semantics of what you're trying to get at don't exist in an accessible way in the underlying system, right? right? How, so you've built a channel, but to what, right? You know, one of the one of our our uh, early customers was rated, you know, number one in customer service. But when they brought us in, what they told us was, we can't tell our customers what their benefit plans are and what they mean. <laughs> and they were literally had spent millions of dollars trying to aggregate information from five different systems. And in the end, you know, they kind of built a spreadsheet with some comments in it, but there was no real way to get access to the definitive meaning of the services that they had sold to an right. individual. Okay. So, so a digital channel doesn't fix that problem unless you first fix the problem of access to data. Right. You've got to have the data. You got to have the back end. And if you are doing a lot of things manually and the data isn't readily available in some sort of real time, quote, real time way, that'd be real, real time, but that would be great. But some sort of a, way in which if I went to the doctor, maybe that encounter would get logged within 24 hours. Um, that all, it all, that all doesn't exist. You know, the quality of the experience to the consumer is going to be, is, is going to be, you know, um, less, much less, and maybe not even a, adequate from what they might expect. That's right. So do you think about it as though, you know, we're, we're, we're transforming, you know, for years we didn't care about consumers in healthcare, right? It was all about you know, the business, the business model with corporations, but we're activating these consumers in large part uh, because of the high deductible nature of many of the, the health insurance products that are out there today, right? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, in the past, the focus was on this sort of transaction processing mentality that I, that I mentioned uh, a little bit ago, where really the only thing that was important is do we have uh, adequate data to clear this transaction at this time, 
So do we have information about the doctor? Do we have information about the benefit plan? And as a result of that, what's happened at virtually every payer in the U.S. is there there was no attention paid to you know how to keep that data coherent. So you know, for example, many payers have millions of doctors in their database when there's only several hundred thousand that actually exist. And that was because it was easier to just add a new record with the new data to get the the transaction to pass. But then you've lost your picture of that provider over time, right? Because now you have these two records that you don't really know if they're related or if they're not related because it's someone with a similar name, but maybe one has a different middle name and there's a different address and maybe they work someplace else. And you've lost the the atomicity of that person, right? The uniqueness of that provider as a person if you wanted to do some kind of analysis. So again, that goes back to you have to solve the data and transactional problems in order to get the value out into the world. So let's let's talk a little bit about that in terms of uh, in terms of your customers. Um, how many how many health plans are you doing business with today? Uh, it's the high twenties, twenty seven or so. Twenty seven health plans and 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 the membership there. It's in the seven eight million live range. So that's a pretty that's a pretty good sample of of uh, of the health plan universe. What what do you, when you when you talk to your customers. What are they telling you they're getting from your product? Well, the the advantages that you're getting are, you know, there's, there's several aspects, but one of the big ones is this sort of administrative and IT efficiency. Mm-hmm. So all these people with, you know, calculators and spreadsheets, they don't need to be working to make the the fundamental processing of the business work anymore and they can go off and and do other things. Um, And then the other aspect is the amount of IT support that's required to keep one of these things going. Um, For other, you know, legacy systems, which is mostly what we compete with, you know, these can, these costs go into the hundreds of millions of dollars. So very significant costs. One example that I, I give is one of our customers has a large Medicare practice of, uh, you know, several million lives. And one of the people leading that area said to me with health rules, there's a, a a particular activity that we wanted to do that you were able to do in less than 30 seconds that my IT people said would take six months and cost $2 million. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what kind of percent improvement that is, right. but it's, you know, it's very, very significant. Well, I mean, at some, at some, at some level you're making the impossible possible, right? Cause it's hard to imagine that that would get through budgeting. Maybe it would, I don't know. But you're making it possible within the, within the context of you know real business. You know, I need to make this improvement to the system. Let's do it, and and you're able to accomplish. Exactly. Exactly. Let me give you a chance before we continue to sort of just give the overview. I mean, we're we're almost, we're over 20 minutes in here, um, and I haven't hadn't really had the the, the pure overview of the healthware health edge uh, product suite. 
So there's two main components. The the first is our our core administrative system. So that is a benefit design, a claim adjudication, provider contracting, provider reimbursement, workflow, customer service reporting, kind of all of the things that you would expect from a core administrative system. And then the second piece is our clinical piece, which is care manager, and that has disease management, wellness, case management, utilization management, and uh, and that aspect. And then I think the unique thing is we're really the only people out there that have uh, both of those components pre-integrated. So if you were to buy both our core system, which is payer, and our clinical system, which is care manager, those will kind of seamlessly work together and allow you uh, access to uh, to data and, uh, you know, really give you a, a kind of unprecedented level of, of integration. And the, um, and the ability to, I, I guess, a lot, you know, some people, when they think about clinical, they don't necessarily think about payer payers, right? They think about EMRs and hospitals and provider networks. But I guess, I guess the fact of the matter is, is that, um, the, the payer does involve itself in clinical decisions uh, often. And certainly right. as people become chronically ill or go through large case, uh, treatments, uh, the payer is, begins to, uh, associate clinical and cost and try to manage those two together. Right. And those are really, there's two clinical dimensions. One is that cost control, uh, which is typically utilization management. So you're looking at the way uh, your members are behaving to make sure that they're not consuming services in an inefficient way or an inappropriate way. So, you know, if you had an MRI yesterday on your chest and then another doctor uh, prescribes the same thing the next day, probably doesn't make too much sense. And it's, you know, it's it's no good for anybody, right? Right. And then the other is the more proactive aspect where we're either, you know, reaching out to people trying to keep them healthy or we're identifying populations of people who are ill or at risk of becoming ill and putting programs together to help them, you know, get get healthy and stay healthy. So those are kind of the two aspects. And, you know, the the payers are incented to do both of those things, but I think, you know, as a part of this whole digital health thing that we've been talking about here, I think that more out the outreach part is going to become more and more important as health plans become more purveyors of health as opposed to just uh, purveyors of transaction processing services. Yeah, and I mean, and the other side of that the coin is is that the the providers are going to get reimbursed much differently as as we progress here. Uh, you know, the the old older fee for service model, while it's going to stay in place for as long as many of the providers can hold on to it, um, we are moving towards a, a value based reimbursement environment. Does uh, does your system offer advantages to your customers in that in that regard? Yeah, I mean that's part of the semantics of the system, absolutely. So we're, you know, we're keeping up to date with all the developments and the sort of inherent flexibility of the system really, really plays well there. Very cool, very cool. So when you're out competing, and I know it's the universe is 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 
is large in terms of there's every payer's got a claim system. Um, and you know, some of those claim systems were built, you know, well before, you know, I got out of college. I think they were, some of them are like 30 years old or so. Um, but as you're out competing, what, what do you think for your company are the key variables or vectors of competition and, and where you differentiate the company? Well, one of them is obviously on the product, and we've already talked about that. You know, that, that we really feel like we have the best-in-class product out there. And as you mentioned, it's a it's a more contemporary architecture than anything else that was really imagined for this you know next generation healthcare universe, if you will. But I think right alongside that, and probably just as importantly, you know, we're a different kind of company than most of our competitors in that we're a software company. So, you know, our major competitors are really look look more like service companies than software companies. And they're about, you know, I don't want to say maximizing service revenue, but the amount of service revenue that they do is critical to their business success. Whereas I view it in a completely different way, HealthEdge is interested in continuing to invest in technology to reduce the amount of service cost to initially implement the system and then to reduce the total cost of ownership by reducing the need for ongoing services. So it's a very different uh, kind of twist from, from the other players in the space. And that's really because you're providing upgrades on a regular basis and incorporating, you know, customer needs into the core code so that they don't have to hire a systems integration or you, for that matter, company, you know, to build certain features. You know, you're coming out with new features on a regular basis and your customers get that as part of being a subscriber. That's exactly right. So if you think about, you know, you, you brought up value-based reimbursement a moment ago. So one of our major competitors has a value-based reimbursement product. So they go out and sell that product and they sell implementation and testing services that go along with that product. Um, you know, whereas we take a more typical packaged software approach where, you know, those semantics are just part of the system and there's no upcharge for them. They just, they just appear when they're available and you're free to use them. And of course, I would imagine you've got a long list of features that your, your, uh, your customers are demanding on a, on a regular basis as we go forward. How do you, how do you decide what features to build next? Well, that's the hardest part of running a software company. You know, it's called product management and it's, it's, it's about where you leverage your engineering resources. And it's always a, a balance that you have to strike because you want to be able to develop features that are going to continue to increase the ROI for your existing customer base. And you also want to be able to develop new features and capabilities that are going to attract new customers. So that's, that's really the, the day-to-day dance of running a software company. And, you know, I think we've been very effective at it. Have you, have you calculated in, in either a percentage or in a dollar, PMPM or something, the, the range of, of value that you create for your customers once your system is fully operational? Um, yeah, there's a pretty complex model that we have that addresses uh, a lot of those factors, but I, I think 
you know, one of the interesting numbers that, that we've come up with, and we engaged a sort of a, a, a neutral third party to come up with this model, but the numbers that we came up with, and this is just on cost savings, and it's really has very little to do with incremental revenues or pushing into new markets or anything like that. Um, but what we found is that, you know, an average health plan has about a three to 4% margin. And by implementing health rules across the enterprise, we believe you can add one and a half to 2% to that margin. So it's a very significant uptick in the, in, in the margin. That would be incredible, I'm sure. And it, and obviously that would make them more competitive if they choose to, to compete on price or service levels and so on, right? Yeah, and again, you know, when you when you talk to our customers and when we talk to prospects, this is a very significant uh, change in the amount that needs to be spent on maintaining the system. I mean, literally, I have one customer that said we went from two buildings to one after we implemented health rules. Okay. Um, so let's get into a little bit, you know, by the way, I'm talking to Rob Gillette, the CEO of HealthEdge Software, and uh, we sort of get down to the last part of uh, the discussion, and I want to talk about um, what it's like to run a, a startup. So we're not calling you a startup anymore, right? <laughs> not at these numbers, but um, in, in the good old days, you know, it was, uh, it was a small group of people that built the core software. And and now you've got, you know, a very hardworking, you know, team of people. So how many employees do you have today? Just at a wrong, Around three hundred. And how many employees did you have when you started? I think it was twelve. Right. It was twelve. And most of them were writing writing code and engine and architecting the system, I would imagine. That's right. It was a combination of the functional experts and the technical experts. So let's start with this question. You know, what what is what culture have you been able to create at Health Edge that has allowed you to go um, from 12 to 300 and, and uh, you know, significant revenue ramp, of course, over that period of time um, and, and put you in a position to compete in what is, I would imagine, a very high dollar value complex sale? I, I think, you know, my background is mostly as a, as a technology person. I've been a a CTO and an engineering leader for, for many years. And, you know, people tend to hire people that they're comfortable with. So I've tended to hire people who also have, you know, engineering and technical background and who have a similar style, I would say. And, and that style is really around uh, very ethical and honest communication and it's around balance. So, when we try to decide what to do, we're always thinking about how do you balance the needs of the company and its stakeholders, our partners, our employees, and our customers. So I, I think you know that's something that I'm very proud of, and that kind of balanced uh, and honest and direct communication approach, uh, I think has served us, us very well as, a, as an alternative in this space. I mean, you get people to work very hard, right? I mean, they sort of do things that you don't expect um, from them sometimes. I mean, you need them to do it, obviously, so you expect it. But you watch people really put in this, this great amount of effort 
for for their customers and for you know their careers. Do you think that that type that when people are in, in that type of environment, they're they're, they're more inclined uh, to join forces with the company and the management team and and work towards these you know very significant objectives? Yeah, I think so because if you have a a company culture where you know you you believe what management is telling you and you believe that management is trying to do the right thing for you and for the customer then it becomes very easy for you to get aligned with with those goals i think the problems arise when you know there's competing agendas inside the company where maybe some of them are pro customer and some of them are you know, more territorial in nature, that, that things can become less constructive. And, you know, coming from that kind of, you know, clarity that an engineering organization typically has, I think has allowed us to engender that kind of, that kind of culture that, that people will, will go the extra mile. You know, and I, and I know just, just from working with you that, uh, that, you know, it's really, you know, you've been able to, to keep, you know, the really core people there. You know, through this, and and by the way, Rob, I mean it is not common that no one often says it's not common, but it's it's it is a significant accomplishment that the same core management team is able to go from the beginning to the more mature phases of the business. You know, uh, you know a lot of a lot of guys work their way out of a job as the business grows, right? And and you guys have continued to be able to thrive in that environment. Well, I think yeah, it's an interesting situation. I think if you look over the last 30 years or so, you've seen, you know, kind of wave after wave of automation of, of every different aspect of, you know, the economy. And this is really one of the last remaining bastions. So, you know, having the, an opportunity to modernize uh, an industry as large as the health insurance industry is is pretty unique given you know that everybody else has kind of moved to a more modern architecture cool cool well there's a lot of information on your website healthedge.com a lot of cool stuff on there an interesting gartner report that's out on on digital payers um i want to thank you for joining me it's it's interesting interviewing somebody that you know so well (laughs) (laughs) but um but it was uh, obviously as always great to talk to you Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks, Steve. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you, Rob Gillette, for joining us on the Breaking Health Podcast. It's great to hear how HealthEdge is making healthcare a little easier for payers to administer. Thank you, Steve Cooper, as always, for hosting the Breaking Health Podcast. It's great to have you uh, up and about again uh, vocally and to hear you uh, leading these discussions. And of course, thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of the Breaking Health Podcast. Tune in next week for another tale of innovation.